It's a delight, it's a joy, once again, to make my annual pilgrimage here to Alts Chapel Bible Church. And uh, Pastor Michael was mentioning the fact that it's been 20 years, and it has. I was, came to Camp Pearl in 1996, and Frank Epinet was your pastor at that time, and he asked me to come up and do a little revival. And so I came up, and on a Saturday, we did a little praise banquet in Monroe, actually. Went to a little restaurant there. I can't remember which one it was. And we did what we we're going to do this afternoon in a little lengthier version that Saturday evening. And then I started Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Had a wonderful time, and I always told them, I said, man, these folks have it right because they put me up in the home of a chicken farmer. And that was Bill and Merle Ezel, my precious dear friends, whom I know, Alls Chapel has suffered a huge loss in uh, their home going. And Ray, it's good to see you here. And, and Karen, we prayed for you. Is it your aunt or sister-in-law? It's a sister-in-law, I think, it's in the hospital, and it's not doing well. So you guys have undergone a, a tough time. And uh, yet, but God's grace is sufficient. And I know what Bill and Merle Ezel would want me to say to you. You guys carry on. Now you got you got a lot of work to do, and you carry on with what you're doing. Now I preface what I'm a little story. I'm telling you that if I if I use people's names from the pulpit, you know I do that because I love them and I can get away with it. And uh, I want to say something about my dear friend the Ezel family. And so it's going to be a little bit on the light side. And I hope that hope that I, I didn't even get Ray, get to ask Ray for this. So Ray, can, you mind if I say something about you? All right, go, Ray said go ahead, good. So it's on tape, so I'm going to go ahead and say this. Now, you know that that I came up and stayed uh, with Bill and Merle most of the time when, when I would come up. There were a time or two while they weren't uh, uh, able to do that, but most of the time I stayed with them. And so I got to hear a lot of stories about Ray and about Keith. When they're going, I know Keith's not here today, not feeling well. And uh, so, uh, so they were telling me this one story, tongue-in-cheek, just letting you know, telling me this one story that when Ray and Keith were just little boys, Ray, who's older than Keith, Ray, you see, got a slingshot, and he was so proud of a slingshot, and he practiced with a slingshot, but he just wasn't that good with it, to be honest with you. I think it's Ray. But he'd go out in the woods, and he'd practice and practice and couldn't hit a thing. He came back, and Bill, on the other hand, had gotten Merle. She said to Bill, she said, Bill, all you ever do with these chickens, every time, every place I look, I've got a chicken. Would you get me something beside a chicken? He got her a duck. And she loved that duck, her favorite duck. Ray came back. He had that slingshot, and he thought, I wonder. And being the conniving Ray Ezel, as he, you know how he can be, he snuck around there, and he put that, put that rock in that sling, and he wound it up there, and one shot, dead duck. Well, he didn't know what he was going to do, and he ran, grabbed that dead duck, and put it and tried to hide it in the wood pile there because Bill and Burl still enjoyed their fireplace. And he thought he was getting away with it until he looked up, and there was little brother Keith watching the whole ordeal. So Keith said, that's all right, Ray. So I want to tell you something. We're going to make a deal here, buddy. We're going to make a deal. You're going to do what I say or else. So that night, that night, that night after supper, and Bill and Merle raised three good boys, and they said, uh, Merle said, now, Ray, it's time for, it's, excuse me, she said, Keith, it's time for you to do the dishes. It's your night to help with the dishes, help Mama with the dishes. Keith smiled. He had hair back then. He smiled, and he said, oh, Mama, Ray's going to do the dishes, aren't you, Ray? And he looked at Ray, and he said, remember the duck. That's all he said. But poor Ray had to get up and do the dishes because he didn't want to get in trouble killing mama's duck. 
Well, the next afternoon, um, Merle said to, uh, well, Bill, actually, Bill said, Ray, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you deer hunting with me. You, you want to go deer hunting with me? And boy, Ray got all excited, and, uh, and Merle said, uh, excuse me, I got it wrong. He went to Keith, said, Keith, I want you to, I want you to go deer hunting with me. I said, well, Keith got deer hunting with me, and Keith got all excited, and, um, Merle came out and said, wait a minute now, Bill. He can't do that because he hasn't cleaned his room. Now, those boys need to clean that room. You knew how Miss Merle could be so hard on them, right? Yeah, right. She needs to clean that room. And um, Keith said uh, to his mama, mama, no, it's uh, it's all right. You see, uh, Ray's going to clean the room, aren't you, Ray? And he looked at Ray and he just said, remember the duck. So poor Ray, uh, poor Ray couldn't, um, he had to clean the, the, the room. And um, so this went on for weeks. And Ray had to do his chores and do Keith's chores. And finally he had enough. And he sat down to his mom and he said, Mom, I can't take this anymore. I want you to know that, doggone it, I didn't mean to. Well, I guess I did. I'm just a better aimer than I thought I was. And I took my slingshot and I killed your duck. And Miss Merle, now you know the real Miss Merle, she put her arms around Ray and said, that's all right, sweetheart. You see, I was in the kitchen. I, I saw the whole thing. I was just wondering how long you were going to be Keith's slave. <laughs> Remember the duck. Now, that's a humorous little story. Actually, Ray would never do that. He would never kill his mama's duck. Actually, it was her favorite cat that he killed. But nonetheless, I'm only kidding. He didn't kill anything. But that might be a little humorous story, but when it comes to the lack of forgiveness, the lack of forgiveness, the lack of confession, the lack, the lack of coming clean with things that you may have done wrong, when it, when that takes place in the life of the church, I want you to know that it destroys a healthy church. Now, I, I preface to say that, that Michael, have you told me what to preach on today, sir? You told me what not to preach on because you're going through the Gospel of Luke. Isn't that, is that right? And so I stayed away from that. So Michael did not tell me to preach any sermon. As far as I know, things are going great at All's Chapel Bible Church. So I preface what I'm going to say with this. As a matter of fact, when we talk about lack of forgiveness and how that is to be, how that can ruin a healthy church, I would much rather have preventative maintenance rather than wait till the church is really struggling. I've been there and done that with churches, and it's not a very pleasant thing. So I hope that you take it as such. And I want us to consider this morning just a brief little encounter with a with a book in the Bible that really isn't a book. It's just a little postcard. In fact, you probably flip over it when you get through Titus and you want to jump on over into, into Hebrews and you forget about this little book called Philemon. Philemon, it's one of the pastoral epistles. And maybe you don't even know what the book is all about. Well, the book really is all about the importance of forgiving Letting go in regards to relationships between one another. And what I want us to consider from this little lesson today, from Philemon's postcard that Paul wrote him, was this truth. And that is Philemon's personal plight. And you're going to see what that personal plight is in just a moment. Philemon's personal plight gives spiritual insight to what is really important in the life of the church. I want to say that again because that's my thesis and I hope to support that. Philemon's personal plight. We'll identify that in just a moment if you don't know what it is. Philemon's personal plight 
give spiritual insight to what is really, really important in the local church. Now, I want you to know that what God is going to do is that he's going to take this little postcard and under his sovereign superintending process, he's going to make certain that it is one of the 66 books contained in what we know as the Holy Bible that collectively, as we learned so well today from Ryan, I was thinking about being here 20 years when Janet was a baby and so was Ryan. Ryan, I remember your your dad Joey being up here leading the singing and you were just a little small tight. Your dad would be proud of you. You did a wonderful job with that Sunday school lesson today. It's good to see these guys and gals growing up and walking with the Lord, isn't it? And then you spoke to amen that. I don't know if you knew that or not. So it's good to see guys and gals growing up and walking with the Lord, right? Now there it is. I just, you were just a little delayed, but we got it. So I want us to see the fact that one of the books in the Bible is Philemon and God put it there for a reason. He put it there for a reason. It's not to be overlooked. And so let me set the stage for you. And then we're going to see in the book what's taking place. Philemon lived in a day in a town called Colossae. And Philemon, I'm understanding, was a rather wealthy man. He had a large house because the Bible's going to tell us in Philemon, his little postcard, that Paul says, look, whenever I come, I want you to have a guest room for me. Once again, if you'll forgive me for being so personal, but Bill and Merle always had my favorite guest room. I just walk in and say, you know where your room is? And I, Absolutely, I stayed there so much. The most wonderful host and hostess in the world. Loved them dearly. Well, Paul said, I want you, Philemon, to have that room set for me. So I gather they had a large house, big enough to have a guest room for Paul to stay. Wealthy man. And he had a slave. Now, we're not going to even talk about the subject of biblical slavery and what the Bible says or doesn't say about it. That isn't our purpose. Philemon had a slave. His name was Onesimus, the Greek word. Onesimus, we might transliterate it. Onesimus. But in that culture, the slaves weren't like the slaves that you might know of and read about in American history that stayed back in a little old hut that wore ragged clothes and barefoot and said yes sir and no sir and they did whatever their master's whim was. No slaves in the biblical culture were really part of the family. They lived with the family. As a matter of fact, some of these slaves perhaps would have been educated more so than the slave owner. Perhaps. And they were there to assist them. So they were treated much differently. But this particular slave of Philemon by the name of Onesimus stole something from Philemon. He was uh, committed a crime. And so he runs. He becomes a fugitive. And we don't know what it was that he took. But we know that he ran to Rome. And he thought that he would hide under the cover of the metropolitan Rome. Never again to be heard from from Philemon. And in God's infinite sovereignty, he led Onesimus right to the very feet of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul led Onesimus to Jesus. 
And the Bible's going to tell us that Onesimus actually was a great help to Paul while Paul was in prison because you understood that in biblical times, the prisoners didn't have three meals in the cot and they had it pretty nice. I'm not saying that it's nice for those in prison. But those prisoners then depended upon family and friends to provide it for any sort of food and any sort of clothing and any sort of any other needs that they might have while they were imprisoned. And so Onesimus, I understand, was a great help to Paul in Rome. But now Paul understood something very significant. Paul understood that it was critically, vitally important for the church at Colossae. Well, I want you, let's just take our Bibles. You thought, are you going to ever get to the Bible? Let's look to the book of Colossians. You're saying, I thought you said Philemon. I did. But before we go over to Philemon, I want you to find Colossians chapter 4. Meet me there in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7. In Colossians 4, 7. Here's where we are introduced here to Onesimus. In verse 7 of Colossians 4, I read Tychicus who is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. No, so here is Tychicus. And he's going to take the letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. And with that letter, he's going to send send Onesimus, the runaway slave, who's now a believer in Jesus. And he's going to send the little postcard to Philemon. So Tychicus and Philemon have two letters, Colossians and Philemon. And notice what he says, verse 8. I am sending him to you for this very purpose. Why? That he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus. There's our guy. Look how he describes him. A faithful and beloved brother. Oh, he is not a slave. He's not a fugitive. He's not a sinner. He is a brother. Paul recognizes him as such. And he says he is one of you, Colossians. He's one of you. Interesting. They together, Tychicus and Onesimus, they will make known to you all the things that are happening here. So now he elevates Onesimus from a slave to a messenger. And he takes this little letter of Colossians with the letter Philemon. So I want you to turn over, please, to Philemon. So if you get to Titus, you've got one more book and you've got Philemon. One page, one page, a little note, a little postcard, Philemon. And I want us to consider... And we're going to do this really briefly here, so please put your seatbelt on here. As we look at, as we look at Philemon's personal plight that gives spiritual insight to what's really important in the church, I want us to consider, first of all, Philemon's relationship with his church. Philemon's relationship with his church. Philemon, I understand, is a, is an outstanding citizen of Colossae. I would want you to know that if Philemon lived in the West Monroe area, that you would say, hey, we would love to have him as a member of, we would love to have him as a member of All Chapel Bible Church, and Pastor Michael, you would, you would love to have him as an elder in your church. Well, the Bible says that. Look with me, please, in, in Philemon. Look at, look at, at, at uh, verse, um, at verse two. What verse? Well, we might as well, why not verse one, right? Paul, he says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So he doesn't introduce himself as an apostle. 
recognizing his authority for Philemon to act on what he's going to request of him. He says, I'm just a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And he talks about Timothy, whom he mentored, his son in the faith, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Athea. Now, who is this? Well, it is a, a lady, and we would understand that perhaps she's Philemon's wife. And Archippus, our fellow soldier. Oh, there's a difference between soldier and fellow laborer. This Archippus, who is this? Could this be their son? We have no way of being definitive about that, but it is very possible. Maybe Archippus was one of the soldier fellow workers in the church that met in their house. Look at the verse. And to the church in your house. So I'm understanding that in Colossae, there's a group that met in Philemon and Apphia's house. And there was a room large enough for him. Look at verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. In other words, when I get out of prison, I look forward to staying with you and doing some ministry in Colossae. So I'm saying that Philemon's relationship with his church was, number one, they met in his home, and number two, they made him a leader. I believe that when we see the word a fellow laborer. My point being is that Philemon was well respected, not only in the church there at Colossae that met in his home, but I'm understanding in the entire little community of the little province there uh, of Colossae, the little city of Colossae. And as such, people recognized him. They knew. Man, they, they saw it on Facebook that Onesimus left. They, they, now you're awake, kidding you? I just wonder if you were there with me. They knew that this, it was public knowledge now that Onesimus has stolen something from poor Philemon. And how good Philemon's been to Onesimus. How dare Onesimus do that? Number one, he left him. And number two, he not only left him, but he stole something from him. Well, how do we know that he stole something from him? Paul says in verse 18, if you're there in Philemon, but if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. Paul says, I'll pay it. What a gracious thing of Paul to do. So I'm understanding that Onesimus took something from Philemon. So we've got this guy Philemon and his relationship with his church as they met in his home and they made him a leader. And I want us to consider Philemon's relationship with Paul. Philemon's relationship with Paul. We'll do this really momentarily. Notice, if you will please, that he says something very important there in verse 19. I'm understanding that Philemon received Christ through Paul. Philemon received Christ through Paul. Look at what he says in verse 19. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, which is very unusual for him. Normally he had a scribe who would do that for him. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. What was it that he owed him? I'm just suggesting that as Paul led Onesimus to Christ in Rome, that Paul led Philemon to Christ. Now, Paul hadn't visited Colossae, but I think that somehow he met 
He, Philemon, met maybe at Ephesus. Maybe at Ephesus, because Colossae is not that far from Ephesus. Maybe met Paul there, and Paul shared the good news of Jesus with him, and Philemon became a believer. Philemon received Christ through Paul, and secondly, Philemon refreshed Paul through Christ. Notice what we find here in verse 7. This is one of my favorite verses. I love to use this verse because it's so neat. For we have great joy. I'm in verse 7 now of Philemon. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, Philemon. Why? Because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. That's a beautiful word, refreshed. It is the exact same word word that is used by the Lord Jesus whenever the Lord Jesus says these words. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you anapao, pao, anapao. I thought you said rest or refreshment. Yes, that's the word. Anapao. Listen to what it looks like. It's made up of two words. Ana means, it's a preposition meaning to lift, to lift up. And pao is a word that means to be limp. It's just seas. In other words, you just, you just do this. And so here is in a, in a very real way, here is Philemon who took these struggling believers at Colossae and really any struggling believer who was limp and he would lift them up. Hey, have you ever been around folks that you just love to be around? Because when you left, you felt lifted up. You felt refreshed. You felt rejuvenated. You felt revived. You felt, man, I can't wait to be in their presence again. Well, that's the idea that Philemon was, not just to Paul, but to everyone with whom he came in contact. So Philemon's relationship with Paul was that Philemon received Christ through Paul and Philemon refreshed Paul through Christ. But now here's the third point, and this is where we get to the nitty-gritty of our theme. What's Philemon's relationship with Onesimus? Number one, he was his former owner. Notice I put F-O-R-M-E or former owner. He one time he was his owner. He was his master. Master Philemon. But he is now his present brother. Look what Paul says. In verse 15, he says, well, you know what? I, I'm going to take the time. I want you to, to get the flow of thought here and look back at verse 12. Let's pick the paragraph up there. I'm sending him back. Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus back. Therefore, receive him. In other words, it literally means to open up your arms. Welcome him back. Receive him That is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, Paul says. Paul said, look, I would be better off if Onesimus would stay here in Rome. I need him, he says. I wish to keep him with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. He could be serving me. Paul could be very selfish and say, I need Onesimus. But, he says, verse 14, without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntarily. 
What is this good deed? Here is where it really gets good. Because you see, you would have to understand that in that culture, legally, legally, Philemon had the legal right to have Onesimus killed. Let that sink in. Legally. And I want you to know that if he did that, everyone in Colossae would say he got what he deserved. All the citizens, I'm talking about the pagans, the non-Christian world, would look at that and say, hmm, it's about right. Justice has been served. Maybe that will be a good example to others not to do what Onesimus did. He got what he deserved. But Paul says to Philemon, I don't want you to do the legal thing. I want you to do the spiritual thing. And the spiritual thing is to forgive him. To forgive him. Because that is what really, really matters to the church at Colossae. Because can you imagine, Ryan brought up an excellent point in Sunday school this morning, when we forgive a non-believer, it just says it really blows their mind for a believer to forgive a non-believer. But in the non-believing world, when the non-believing world is looking on believers in the church and how they relate to one another in biblical forgiveness, when they do that, they go, huh? Can you imagine... Can you imagine on their Facebook when they saw Onesimus is back in town? We saw him. He was with Tychicus. And they're thinking, well, everybody's going, what's going to happen here? Good, juicy gossip. What's going to happen to Onesimus? And now, can you imagine that as this letter, because now Paul is addressing the church, remember, in verse 2, that meets in your house. So here it is. You've got to understand, you've got to understand that Philemon did not see Onesimus until he was with Tychicus bringing those two letters. And can you imagine Philemon going, you're back. And Onesimus going, I'm not worthy to be called your slave. But he, he gives him this letter. And as he, at this, as this letter is read, it's read to the church because the church is greeted. I don't know who's reading it. Maybe Archippus is reading it. Maybe Epaphras, who could have been the pastor, is reading it. He's reading the letter and he says, by the way, Paul sends all of you greetings. He says, hello, I just was with him. Tychicus was with him and Tychicus is going to fill us in on everything that's going on there. And here's, here's, uh, here's Onesimus and he, he also is with Tychicus, and he saw Paul, and he's going to fill us in on how Paul is doing. He's going to give his testimony because he's not the same. And as this letter is read, Philemon, would you now welcome him and receive him not as a former owner, but now as a present brother? Can you imagine heads going, okay, Philemon, what are you going to do? Can you imagine? Inquiring minds want to know, what are you going to do? The citizens of Colossae would say, put him to death. 
but the Christians in the church are commanded to forgive. Why? Why, Paul? Why do you want Philemon to forgive Onesimus? Why? Wouldn't have it been just, wouldn't it have been much easier, ladies and gentlemen, for Onesimus to stay in Rome and for Paul to say, you know what? One day, if we ever see Philemon, I'll, 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 I'll vouch for you. It's going to be okay. In fact, I really need you here. I need you more than Philemon needs you. So just stay here and forget about seeking forgiveness. Just forget about it. But the Apostle Paul knew better. Because you see, when you harbor resentment, when you, when you have done something wrong and you've not confessed it, remember the duck? When you do that, it not only affects you, but it affects the church. And it affects the church in a negative way, not in a positive one. Do you think the Lord Jesus knows anything about the growth of the church? Well, I suggest to you that he does. He's the one who founded it. He's the head of the church. And as he hastily instructs his now 11 bewildered disciples hours before his death. He says in the same context of teaching in John chapter 13 and verse 34, he says, he says, a new commandment I give unto you. A new commandment I give unto you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you love one another. Then verse 35 he says, by this shall all men know that you belong to me when you love one another. And then secondly, in the same context, in other words, the world is going to know that we belong to Jesus by how we relate to one another in love. And then secondly, it's interesting, in John 17, if we had the time, we'd look there, which we don't. Jot it down if you're interested. That's John 13, 34, and 35. John 17, 20, and 21. John 17, 20, and 21. The same discourse, the same time of teaching. Not a different week, but the same same time. The Lord Jesus, in his true Lord's Prayer, he says, Father, I don't pray for these, these 11, alone. But I pray also for all those who will believe on me through their word, that they may be one, just as I am in you, and you are in me, so also may they be one in us. Verse 21. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. You believe the Lord Jesus knows something about the growth of his church? I suggest to you that he does. And do you believe that our enemy... Satan knows something about the destruction of the church. I suggest to you that he does. And I'm here to personally testify to you that over years of pastoring different churches, and I don't have time to go into that, but, but my spiritual journey has led me to churches that have suffered splits. Those are the churches I followed up in. I didn't plan that. That's just the Lord, that's the way the Lord led me. I'd go into a church that had split and try to regroup folks. And I find it very, very interesting that 
These splits were never over doctrinal issues. They were over little things like Philemon and Onesimus. You took something from me. I'll never look at you again. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you, but when I come into the church, if I see you, I'll turn this way and I'll ask this person, oh, have they left yet? Have they left yet? Have they left yet? Because I'm not going to turn until they leave. Make sure they leave. Ladies and gentlemen, that is pure sin. And the Lord Jesus Christ is never going to bless his church with that kind of attitude that folks have. Never. You can play your game. You can have your church. You can have your Sunday school and ring your bell. But the Lord Jesus will never grow his church with that attitude. That's why, that's why Paul sent Onesimus back. He said, you've got to go back, Onesimus. Why? Because the citizens of Colossae will be wowed by your forgiveness being received from Philemon. The citizens of Colossae are going to say, we've never seen anything like this before. This is unnatural. And you're going to say, yes, it's supernatural. It's a work of grace done by the power of the Spirit of the living God. A few weeks ago, I was over in Atlanta, Georgia. I was asked to speak to a group of pastors. I didn't speak on this passage, but I did speak about church conflict. And it's interesting that while one of the, uh, there were some pastors from South Carolina and Tennessee and Georgia, and one of the men there was the general um, director of biblical ministries worldwide. His name is Paul Sager. He wrote me this note after I got back from the conference, and he said these words. He says, you know, there's a fellow by the name of Bob Provost, who is the president of Slavic Gospel Association told me about the Russian church. He went in there as the wall was coming down and has been intensely involved with them over the years. Remember, we talked the Great Wall, that Reagan said, tear down this wall. These churches have been somewhat isolated from the rest of the world until the wall came down. So when Bob indicated that in the West, that's us, churches would often split for a variety of reasons. When they heard that, because they didn't, they didn't get any news from the West behind the wall. And they huddled together. They needed one another. They longed for one another. They supported one another. They forgave one another. They worked through their differences. Because they didn't have any place else to go. They were amazed since they never had a church split in their fellowship of churches. Their words were, and now I quote, We are believers in Jesus who have the same Bible, the same Holy Spirit. How can there be a split? They did indicate that they obviously had disagreements, but they simply and may I, may I add probably difficultly, studied the word together. They prayed together and they talked together until things were resolved. Splitting up a church was never an option. 
Now, please understand, once again, I am not proposing that there's an issue here at All Shepherd Bible Church. You have my word on that. And your pastor didn't tell me to preach on this. But this is near to my heart because I see other churches who do not place the right emphasis on you. And you remember what the Lord Jesus says. The Lord Jesus says, when you bring your gift to the altar and you remember that you have ought against your brother, what should you do? I just forget about it. Right? What did he say do? Drop it there. Leave it there. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come back and then you and I can worship together. You can worship me and I'll receive your worship. That's why in the New Testament books, every New Testament book has at least one verse that deals with maintaining harmony, resolving conflict, being of the same mind. And what do we do today? We push that aside and we play our little game and we forget what is really important in the life of the church. So whether you've been wronged or whether you have wronged someone else, stop saying it doesn't matter. And stop giving excuses about how hard it would be to get it resolved. How hard do you think it was for Paul to let Onesimus go and travel all the way from Rome back to Colossae? And how hard would it have been to let him go knowing that he could have been a huge benefit to him? But the Apostle Paul knew that Philemon's personal plight would provide spiritual insight to what is really, really important in the church. And so I leave you with this, folks. Your little petty differences with one another, if there are, Let it go. Give it up. Build a bridge and get over it. It isn't worth destroying the church over your personal differences. Would you bow with me, please? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and we're saying, Oh, Lord, help us. I know that's what you're saying is your heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You're saying, but done. That is just so hard to do, to forgive that person who wronged me. I never said it was easy. Nor did God. Excuse me. God never said it was easy, and I'm just his messenger repeating him. Maybe difficult, but it's most certainly doable. Because Jesus said to do it. So do the hard thing, but most importantly, do the right thing. And in so doing, you are supporting your pastor who is holding forth the word of life and who's lifting high the name of Jesus. Then the citizens in the Downsville, Calhoun area, will be able to say, hey, have you heard what's going on at All's Chapel? Man, look how they love one another. Father in heaven, thank you that you have set the supreme example of what it looks like to forgive. For while I was yet your enemy, 
Your son Jesus died for me. Oh, Lord. I pray that you would keep me from flimsy excuses of not doing the right thing. May I not do what my flesh would scream out. That's the easiest thing. Just let it, just don't worry about it. And may I do what the Spirit of God says. No, do the right thing and trust me with the results. So to that end, Father, I commit this precious, precious group of believers. And I pray that All's Chapel Bible Church may continue to shine your truth to this community by the way they live their lives and live out the living, breathing, infallible, inerrant, eternal Word of God. And it's in the name of Jesus that I offer this. Amen.